Hi everyone, this is Tim, and I'm here to talk to you about Direct Sellers Wine Club. Join Direct Sellers Wine Club. Get your monthly deliveries direct to your door. Discover new selections each month and build a business. This is a great opportunity not only to introduce new wines to yourself, but to your family, friends, and colleagues. And in a process, you'll get free wine and an opportunity to build your own business. Direct Sellers Wine Club Revolutionary Approach puts the focus 100% on you. So join Direct Sellers Wine Club. To learn more, go to our Facebook page, Radio MVP, and click the Shop Now button. Or contact me at Tim at RadioMVP.com. That's Tim at RadioMVP.com. Hi, everyone. Hey, thanks for the download. This is episode number two of the one-on-one podcast with Tim Continenza. And tonight's guest is Ray Reinsdorf. He is the play-by-play announcer for McDowell High School football this year. And you can listen to his broadcast on WWCVRadio.com and click on Stream 2. Or you can go to McDowellFootball.org and click on the Listen Now link. And you can hear Ray's call of the games this year on the Internet. Ray has been a play-by-play announcer for the last 15 years. He started his career over here in Ohio, started learning about broadcasting from the Ohio Broadcasting School, and we'll talk more about that. And we're going to also get into Erie football and talking about what's going on with McDowell and District 10. So sit back, enjoy this. Ray's a great entertaining guy, a lot of information. And you'll enjoy hearing about Ray and his career in broadcasting as a play-by-play announcer in Northwest Pennsylvania. So let's get right to it. This is my interview with Ray Reinstorf. Hi, everyone. Hey, thanks for the download. This is episode two of One-on-One with Tim Continenza, and it's my pleasure to... uh, be talking with Ray Reinstorf, who is a play-by-play man in Erie, Pennsylvania, who I've met, oh God, oh, close to 10 years ago now, believe it or not. And uh, we were doing games uh, together for the Allegheny News Talk Sports Network, uh, got about 2008 or nine, I think is when we met. And we've uh, known each other throughout the years, and we've actually had the opportunity to broadcast some games together. And Ray, currently, play man. For McDowell High School, and that is a great connection for him because I believe he went to high school there. And we're going to just talk about Ray, his career, and get a little insight on District 10 this year in Western Pennsylvania and uh, the changes that are happening over in Western Pennsylvania high school football. So, Ray, first of all, thanks you for coming on, and how are you doing, my friend? Thank you very much, Tim. That was one heck of an introduction. It's a pleasure to be with you, my friend. You know, uh, real quick, we talk about the years we worked together over at uh, the Allegheny News Talk Sports Network for Forever Broadcasting. I think probably the most memorable game that uh, you and I did together was when Rocky Grove was on that deep basketball playoff run in the 2010-2011 season, and they were essentially a possession away from going to the state Final Four, and they lost that heartbreaking game against Vincentian Academy over at Share, and that was a fantastic game that you and I did together. Yeah, I tell you what, that was a, a remarkable team. They had such a uh, a chemistry, and you know they were led by. I, I'm terrible with names nowadays. I didn't write anything down, but had a, had a terrific young man who uh, led that team. And uh, Gr- it was what was his name again? Gilly Gravat, I believe, was the name. Yes, that's exactly who it was. And uh, I'll tell you what, it was exciting that we had. A, I, know, I had the opportunity to see them play throughout the year because I covered Franklin 
primarily with Oil City. And then we had Grove City fill in a few games because they're right down the street from Franklin. And uh, what a uh, what a run they had that year and what a lot of fun it was to uh, to cover them and, and be involved in the District 10 uh, championship. And then, like you said, and make that run into the potential state Final Four type thing. It was a uh, an amazing run that they had, something that I know the Franklin area, Grove City will uh, always remember because of what they uh, they achieved that year. I'm sorry, Tim. I, didn't mean, I know we got a little bit of a delay here. I'll get used to it. This is my, my first ever video chat podcast. So <laughs> I got to get used to the whole technical stuff here. But uh, uh, no problem. Franklin made that run to the Sweet 16 as well this year, just throwing that, that in. I have fond memories of uh, the Allegheny News Talk Network days and uh, meeting all the different uh, people I did from you to Vic uh and uh jim mainly you know those are the three guys i worked the most with opportunity also to uh do allegheny college basketball that year and a couple filling games for you when you were doing the football games let's get into your your career here i know you started over in ohio doing play-by-play uh what year was that and uh, where did you get started at uh my career began in 1999 and i didn't that get the opportunity, I think, like a lot of us that break into the business to do play-by-play right away, uh, which was a blessing because in, in the early years, I was really, really bad at it. Um, <laughs> I started at WOBL in 1999. I was interning there. I was also interning at WKNR behind the scenes as well. Never really did any on-air work there, but uh, was studying at the Ohio Center for Broadcasting and Independence, which I believe is now referred to as the Ohio Media School, but uh, my first assignment was to be a stringer for games around Lorain County, and basically I would go to games. I would uh, <laughs> I didn't have a cell phone at the time, so I would pray that the high school that I was covering the game at would either have a telephone in the press box or a payphone somewhere nearby where I could call the 1-800 number into the studio and give an update on the game, but then I would go to the studio after the game, and we had a a really long post-game show at WOBL. Sometimes it would run until 11, 11.30, sometimes even midnight if there was, you know, still people out trying to get back to the station. And I'd come back and I'd go over the summaries and give stats and things like that. And it was a really good learning experience for a very green, young broadcaster. And uh, just the, the years that I spent there, I spent six years there. I uh, was able to, you know, slowly get the experience and climb the ladder. I was an understudy underneath some unbelievable broadcasters. Uh, Brian Engel was the one that gave me my first break. Uh, Don Vincent, who's a tremendous play-by-play guy. And then Dave DiNatale, who now works at uh, WKYC and does a lot of their internet content on Facebook. I know he does a lot of internet features on there, writes for the website and was also at WKNR for many years and worked with some really talented people, was blessed to be there early in my career and had a lot of fun there. Yeah, I tell you what, that, those early days for anybody, it is very seldom, like you said, they get behind the mic right away. I know when I started covering uh, games, I was a board op back for the station I was working in for, and then slowly they, they brought me to a few games, and I was kind of like a halftime entertainment interview somebody and then hand it back over to them. And then as time went on, I, uh, I was like, you said a stringer, I would go to the games and we had, a we happened to have cell phones. Then it was, uh, mid nineties, I guess it was. And, uh, we used to have these big, heavy cell phones, you know, you know with the big battery pack and, and, and antennas on it and even bag phones. And we would call in our report 
from that. Uh, what I remember most from doing those days is uh, I was was a uh, Borman Mooney game, I believe it was. It had to be about 95, 96. I don't know the exact year. But anyways, uh, all the the main game ended early, and the that game was running late. And the last uh, about two minutes of the game, Borman had the ball, and I got I called into the station, and they went, hang on, Tim, you're going live in about you know, about 30 seconds, and you can just – uh, give some play-by-play the rest of the game, see what happened. And I got lucky, and I uh, ended up doing like a series of uh, downs, maybe uh, three, four downs, and they went down the field and ended up uh, lining up for about a, a 35-yard field goal to win the ball game. And uh, that was my first opportunity to do play-by-play on a high school football game. That's good stuff right there. I think when a lot of guys like you and I that have – done this in the medium and smaller markets have a lot of similar stories like that and at WOBL and Oberlin it was the same same type of, of situation sometimes you'd be calling in and they'd throw it to you real quick and say hey what's what's going on at the game or you know for myself I got the opportunity to start start off doing some sideline work for some Saturday games that we had on the schedule uh, and then, like I said, just got that experience. But I like what, what you mentioned. Um, and this is advice I would say for real young broadcasters that want to break into the business. Be willing to do anything. I did everything from, like you said, studio work, board hopping. Heck, I even at one point did engineering intern work there where I would drive the van when we were doing uh, what we call in the radio business a Marty, where you're basically sending one antenna shot to another antenna shot of a game. I'd, you know, drive the van, hook the antenna up, run the coax, you know, help the guys on site, things like that. But it teaches you all the aspects of the business so you have an understanding of what goes into broadcasting a game. And I think that's important. Oh, there's no question about that. It's it's invaluable experiences that you learn. It's frustrating when you're young and you're eager to get started, but you also get to learn so many other aspects of the uh, the business especially remote business and meaning like doing a football game or happen to be at a business to uh, promote them you know, on a remote. And you learned the different aspects, like you said, uh, of transmission of, of a, uh, of a broadcast, if it's either phone line, cell phone, or like you mentioned, a Marty shot, which is like you said, a, a two way communication through antennas. And it's just, it's an amazing, you know, part of the business that a lot of people don't recognize that has to be done. Uh, for you can really get the experience to move on. So you stayed there for a few years, my understanding, and then you had – when did you get your first opportunity to do uh, play-by-play? First opportunity to do play-by-play actually came rather quickly there. With See, they were in a bit of a transition phase between sports directors. I know Brian Engel, uh, the year that I interned there, he ended up leaving and going to WTAM for a few years. And then uh, Don Vincent and Dave Dinatale were co-sports directors. But actually that first year, I had an opportunity to do some basketball play-by-play. And, you know, I learned real quick that uh, it, it, it's definitely something that you really, really, really have to work hard at to develop and become good at. Because it's, I think when you're sitting there for the very first time and all of a sudden that ball's up in the air and you go, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Those early years, I certainly had a lot to, to work on because from, you know, I unfortunately didn't have the opportunity to go to a four-year institution. You know, I went to tech school, so I didn't have any live game experience. So I look at those years as almost college for me, you know, and 
I had the opportunity to be behind terrific broadcasters and learn. And, and I think it, what was good for me was uh, when, when Don and Dino became sports directors there, they kind of scaled me back a little bit because I think they understood that I was still very green and I was struggling at the play-by-play aspect of things. Pull the reins back on me a little bit and they pulled the reins back on me and had me do again more behind the scenes work. And like you said, at the time when you're young, it ticks you off a little bit, but when you sit back and you analyze it, you go, you know what? They did the right thing. And I think it helped me learn how to one, prepare properly. Preparation is the most important part. And then two, come up with a system that works with you. Not everybody's preparation system and in-game system is going to be the same. Everybody's going to do things a little bit differently. You can take templates from other people and kind of morph that into what you want to use. And that helped me as well. Uh, as far as when I became a full-time play-by-play person, it was the 2003 Florida County football season for WOBL. Uh, I did do hockey. I was the first person to do play-by-play for hockey uh, for WOBL in Lorraine County, which was really fun. I used to love the Ohio State tournament at, at Brooklyn. In fact, I uh, a very good friend of mine named Mike Hadel, who's known you mentioned hockey in the Cleveland area. Everybody knew him. He was the public address announcer for all the Cleveland AHL teams for so many years. And then he ran the uh, the state tournament, the Brooklyn bracket at uh, the Brooklyn Recreation Center for years. He ran that tournament for the Ohio High School Athletic Association. And uh, a dear friend passed away this year. And uh, he was a lot of fun to work with. He taught me a lot about the sport. But, uh, yeah, first full year of football was 2003. And then I left WOBL after the O. Uh, five basketball season, moved back home to Erie with my wife so we could be closer to family. Yeah, I, that's interesting. You got to uh, do the uh, hockey. Um, that's a play-by-play specialist that not many people have the opportunity to do. I know I never have, and uh, no one, you know, you're one of the few people I know that have done it. I've met a couple over the years, but it's not a, um, you know, I know West Pennsylvania has a hockey scene, and like you said, the Cleveland area has a hockey scene, but not a lot of the state does or different parts of the areas of different states do. So, I mean, that's a, that's a unique experience. And uh, that, that game is, you think basketball's fast. Hockey is ridiculously fast to try to do uh, play by play with. Yeah. I still remember my first game very vividly. Uh, we were at a very small rink in Elyria. Uh, it was a rink that didn't have heat on the inside of the rink. They had a lobby that was heated, but then the rink itself had bleachers, but there was no heat inside of it to, keep the ice quality better so it's freezing uh i had never done a hockey game before so i didn't really know where to set up and i made the mistake we set up a table right next to the penalty box so the the sight lines weren't very good and when the game started it was (laughs) again i had that deer in headlights look like (laughs) wow i all this work i put into preparing for this game and all of a sudden it happens and (laughs) <laughs> you're sitting there going, wow. It took some time. You know, I realized, number one, uh, you know, position yourself uh, as high above as you possibly can right at center ice. And, uh, you know, I mentioned my, my mentor when it comes to hockey, Mike Adel, actually from his public, public address announcing duties, he, he had these pop-up clipboards that uh, he showed me that I went out and bought where you'd actually, you know, prop them up. They had a little kickstand on them and they would stand up and, I would split the rosters directly in half in numerical order, and I would have two of them 
where I, you know, so when they would switch ends, you'd have one team on one half of the paper, the other on the other half, and then it would be switched on the other side. So that way you could follow the action because hockey is one sport where you can't take your eye off it for a second while the live action's going on, or you might miss something. You might miss a, a big hit. You might miss just a, a, maybe a weak wrist shot that gets deflected into the net. Something is always going on in the sport uh, in between the whistles, obviously. So you have to have your eyes on the action at all times. Uh, that is I, something I'd like to try someday. And and I probably still, even 25 years into this, have deer and headlights thought processes uh, doing a game like that. But I tell you what, I, I really respect that. And I think it's an, an awesome opportunity that you had. And I know you've done it a few different times since then. But uh, hey, I think we may have a mutual friend that we never talked about before. To teach at the uh, broadcast school, Ohio Broadcasting. Uh, Jeff Sack. Okay. You, yes. Did you have a- we, my class, and I was in a class because basically the way things work there is that I don't know if it's changed much since I went there because uh, I went there between. Uh, I went there from June of 99 until March of 2000 when I graduated. And, uh, yeah, he was at the time kind of a roving instructor. Okay. So he would come in occasionally, I think, to fill in for other teachers. But, yeah, my interactions with him were always positive. He seemed like a heck of a nice guy. I know every once in a while I would see him at uh, at Jacobs Field. I know it's got a different name now. It was Jacobs Field when I was there because we would get media credentials uh, through WOBL. We were able to cover – uh, you know, mo- mostly it was just getting, you know, post-game sound and taking it back to the station so the, the folks doing the morning show could use that for their sports reports. So, uh, and I know there's been a lot of uh, roving instructors that have gone through that school that work in the Cleveland and the Akron and the Youngstown market. And, you know, uh, without that school, I would have had the opportunity to even be in this business. And I know that they've given a lot of people an opportunity to be in the business as well. Yeah, they, they really have. And I did not go there, but I knew a few people who taught there, and Jeff was one of them. I met Jeff at a radio station in Warren, Ohio. He uh, would work uh, – he was doing the news and sports talk uh, for WRRO in the mid-'90s, and that's when I started doing sports talk. And uh, we would have shows uh, following each other's on the weekend. I mean, that's when I broke in doing sports talk was on the weekends. I would have a show from, you know, Sunday from one to four, right during the NFL season or something like that, you know, or, uh, you know, during the basketball season. And we would be, you know, and uh, Jeff would be on either before or after my show. And uh, we struck up a friendship back then. And we we probably worked together for about two years. And in the process, I learned about his his days uh, as a teacher over at uh, the Ohio School of Broadcasting. And everything that went on there. So uh, I just, when you mentioned that you went there, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, you probably know of him, if not had classes sure. taught to you by uh, Jeff. And uh, what a great guy. Uh, he's over in New York now. And uh, I, I think he's kind of semi-retired uh, from the broadcasting business, but uh, a terrific guy. And I stay in touch with him on Facebook and uh, up and uh, and get, say hello to him if you get a chance on Facebook because he's, uh, he's a terrific guy and uh, – I just had to mention his name, drop it, uh, since we had that potential in common besides uh, our days over at Forever Broadcasting. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's amazing how uh, you know big this industry is, but it's a small world. <laughs> and a lot of people going in and out of uh, different markets. It's, uh, I, I really, I'm really thankful and I've been blessed to continue to be in this business for now what will be 18 years. It's, it's hard to believe. You know, I've never been in the business full-time. I've always worked a, a 
regular full-time job. Um, I think that's kind of the unfortunate reality of where small and medium market radio is now as compared to say 25, 30 years ago, maybe even 40 years ago where people could work full-time in radio in these smaller and medium-sized markets and make a really good living. The industry has just changed so much over the course of the last 30, 40, 25 years. Yeah, you know, I think you hit it on the button there. Um, I've always said one of the, uh, for jobs in the industry, one of the worst things ever happened to the industry was the uh, Communication Act of 1996, which consolidated, you know, unlimited ownership in broadcasting because in the process, uh, you know, you got three, four, maybe five companies that own the majority of the broadcast uh, stations. And, you know, a lot of it has now gone digital and uh, satellite where you don't necessarily need a person at the station to really run it. You may have one or two full-time on-air personalities, and that's about it. And as you mentioned there, it's just it's changed. I'd say for the last 15 years or so, I've been basically the same as you, just a, a part-timer, a guy who has opportunity to do some sports or fill in for someone once in a great while and uh, you know have some fun that way. But as a, uh, as a career the mid-market and small-market uh, uh, gigs are very hard to find. And, uh, you know, you're not going to – if you do find one, it's tough to make a living at it today. But that's just, like you said, how the industry has changed. Sure. And what's interesting is now I, I think that the, at least from, you know, the small maybe slash medium market perspective that you're seeing a lot of these outlets using the Internet now exclusively to produce broadcasts. I know for myself with McDowell, this will be the second consecutive year where the games will not be on an actual terrestrial station where we're going to be doing online content only. And we, I actually, you know, we were talking about how you produce broadcasts earlier in the podcast. Um, I go to the site and I have a laptop and we hook up to the internet and everything is done right there. I produce my own broadcast. I play my own commercials all right off of the computer. And that just shows you what technology has done for the industry in a negative and in a positive way. But I think that, you know, stations using multiple streams, I know with WWCB, who I'm going to be doing the McDowell games for now, it's based out of Corey, but they have four streams available on their website. And we're going to be doing the McDowell games on stream too. It's actually allowing these stations to kind of branch out and put more content on there without having to own multiple terrestrial frequencies. No, there's no question. The, the game has changed, and it continues to con to change as uh, we progress as the years go by, right? There's no doubt about that in my mind. And uh, I think, like you said, Internet content is uh, huge. I know in western Pennsylvania, in uh, they have the MSA network, which uh, covers – you know, the, the Pittsburgh uh, region of uh, high school sports and that, and uh, they have games on the internet, plus they have simulcasts from the terrestrial radio games uh, throughout the uh, different markets. But uh, it is, it's a huge part of the of the game today. Hey, podcasting has changed uh, radio uh, tremendously because now you can do niche broadcasting uh, to a an audience that, you know, wants to hear what you have to say or get involved in uh, discussions through chat boards and maybe even online through a, a video chat. It's, it's amazing how uh, the world is changing in front of us. I mean, when you and I met, uh, you know, iPhones just begun. Yes. 
Yeah, and when you look at what the internet has has done for broadcasting, it, as you mentioned, it is it has specialized things. I think a lot more, but it has allowed you know the terrestrial stations to branch out to a national and you know international audience. I know that, and, and I think it, it it makes you you know you got to be really good at what you do as from really anything music, news talk, sports talk, because if you want to keep your regional listeners from using tune in to listen to a station out of New York or something along those lines. You got to be sharp and, and talk about the things that people want to talk about from a local perspective. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. Let's get back about a little bit more about Ray here as uh, we move forward. I know you, you, like you said, in 2005, you moved back home to be uh, closer to family and eerie. What, what was next in your uh, in your career to uh, start uh, finding a uh, a new outlet for broadcasting. Well, I um I took a little bit of, a little bit of time off from the industry. I was still working at my full time job at Lowe's. I've actually been with Lowe's now for if you count um, a previous tenure because I actually I worked at Lowe's as a teenager right out of high school and then uh, left in '97 and then went back in 1998 and I've been with the company again since 1998, but I have, you know, you count the previous two years over 20 plus years working for Lowe's, but I took a little bit of time. I was actually recovering from a very uh, serious intestinal illness that I had that year. Um, so I took a little bit of a break from it, got back into it in 2006. I did some work with, uh, uh, then the Erie freeze. They were in a professional indoor football team. They would become one of many that would be in and out of Erie. Uh, when the indoor football circuit was really propping up in a lot of small and medium markets during the mid to late 2000s and into the 2010s. Um, unfortunately, that's a sport I think that's, and I loved covering that sport. I ended up covering that sport for almost a decade, but it's a sport that is really, really struggling. Even the big leagues like the, the AFL are struggling to stay alive financially, but that's a story for another time. But I did some work with the, uh, the Erie Freeze. I did some public address announcing at the arena. I uh, did one game for them on the road at Steubenville, filling in for a couple of their uh, radio guys that were actually Gannon students that were graduating. Uh, and then, you know, it comes back to Forever Broadcasting a few years before you would join. Uh, they were actually having a tryout in Meadville. They were trying to find the next voice of Meadville football. And I ended up making it to the finals, but losing to a man by the name of John Cannon, who at one time actually did Erie Otters games on the radio here in Erie. Uh, but John won the Meadville job, but uh, as the runner up in the competition, and basically what they did was they, uh, for the champion, they were having the tryouts at a couple of local establishments and they would show you footage of a, an NFL game, turn the volume down, and then you would do the play-by-play over top of it to an audience. And uh, I believe it was at Mickey's was where I went and auditioned and then went to the finals. And then at the studio there in Meadville, which, of course, you've been in uh, all the facilities there for uh, forever, where their, uh, their Meadville market is based out of there in the downtown mall, uh, they put us in a room. Uh, they gave us about five minutes to memorize the names of the players. It actually had clips of an old Allegheny game and then took us into the studio one at a time and had us try out, and they had a panel of judges, guys that we all know, the late Gary Clark, uh, rest in peace, 
uh, the late Keith Allen Austin, rest in peace, was part of it. Vic Kress, Adam Marco, who's now a, uh, a single-A baseball announcer for a Pirates affiliate in West Virginia. And so John won. He became the voice of the Bulldogs that year. But they had an opening in Oil City, as you can remember. Uh, the Allegheny News Talk Sports Network was four AM stations in Meadville, Oil City, Franklin, and Titusville. Now they're three, but the now defunct WOYL was uh, they was still running off of that network. So I ended up doing play-by-play for Oil City in 2006 on WOYL, and it was what a fun year that was. I mean, they were a four and six team, but all their games were exciting. They had a double overtime loss in Warren that I'll never forget, a game that ended up costing them the postseason, but. Uh, they had a lot of games that went down to the wire that season. And then from there, I filled in for a little bit of Meadville basketball. And then by the time 2007 uh, sports season arrived, Adam Marco had left to go into minor league baseball. And uh, Keith Allen Austin uh, promoted me to the play-by-play voice of Allegheny football. I absolutely loved that gig. Uh, did that for four years when uh, Mark Matlack uh, was kind of in the mid portion of his coaching tenure there. and you know, they they had great teams then. It's really sad to see how far that program has fallen, and hopefully uh, B.J. Hammer will bring it back to prominence. But uh, I, I was a huge Coach Matt Life fan and just loved doing all those games home and away. You actually filled in for me for a couple of games, I think, in the 2010 season because I had to miss a game because of a wedding. I had a, a relative that was getting married. But uh, I did Allegheny football and then Meadville basketball full-time for a couple of years. And then did Meadville football when John Cannon left. I was actually doing both Meadville and Allegheny for a little bit. And then did Meadville football till 2000, full-time till 2014. Uh, and I still fill in occasionally for Meadville basketball here and there. Uh, that's good to hear. Yeah. Got to keep that forever connection. You know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, that's that's you know that's what I, I really impressed with uh, what you have done over the years is uh, you took opportunities and created them. You know, you you – took a chance on yourself and entered a contest, you know, and in the process uh, impressed enough to find a, a, a secondary opportunity through that. And then you grew yourself, you know, to other opportunities when they progress. And that's, that's really the, the, I think the key in this business is like you said earlier, you have to get your hands wet and, and get in there and work on different opportunities. And uh, sooner or later, some of these opportunities create themselves uh, by either someone maybe moving on or, you know, they're just looking to make a change. And you had that opportunity, you know, to work in Meville all those years. But now the more important thing is you had an opportunity to come home in a sense. You went to Medal. Talk about how that job came about and how you uh, ended up uh, back home at uh, McDowell High School. Well, in, in, you know, I've lived in Erie since, you know, we relocated back to Erie in 2005. So I actually commuted all those years to Meadville. And even, you know, Oil City for the one season doing Oil City full-time, you know, I always commuted. So I was looking for an opportunity to do work closer to home, and I was approached by somebody. And originally it was just to to do games in the county, but then it morphed into, at the time, uh, a now-defunct HD station. Uh, It was 92.7 HD2 in Erie, and we did the games there and online. Um, unfortunately, the different entities didn't work out. Uh, won't get into details about that. That's we don't have enough time <laughs> here to break into the details on why <laughs> no. why it didn't work out uh, with the individual who brought me into 
that, but I, I will say that if it wasn't for that individual, I wouldn't ever had the opportunity to call my alma mater's games. So I am thankful for that. But yeah, it, it originally, it originally was supposed to be games in the, the county, but, uh, then had the opportunity to, I was offered the McDowell gig and obviously I said yes because it's, you know, I'm a 95 graduate. Uh, and I also like the competition they play. They, with them being such a big school, now a 6A school at the time, 4A, as, uh, you know, Pennsylvania went to the six classification system starting last year. Uh, they've never been shy about playing really tough teams to prepare them for the playoffs. They've played St. Ed's. They've played St. Ignatius. They've played teams that you're familiar with in Austin Town Fitch and Cardinal Mooney, because they know that in order to succeed at the 6A level, you've got to play a strenuous schedule. And um, it's been a lot of fun working with uh, Brad Orlando, uh, the head coach of the Trojans. They actually, the, the coaching staff has given me access to film. I get the opportunity to sit and watch film <laughs> to not only scout the team that they're going to be playing, but to, you know, catch other nuances of the team that I'm covering. It's been a lot of fun. I think this year is going to be, a bit of a transitional year for him. It reminds me of two years ago, my first year of calling the games. And I also got to give a shout out to uh, my commentating partner, Brett Pryor, who is the, he's actually an assistant coach for one of the McDowell middle school teams in Westlake. He's a tremendous analyst. Uh, one of the best I've ever worked with. And he does a tremendous job on the broadcasts and he brings a great perspective because now some of the kids that we're going to see this year are kids he coached. So he's got, you know, the inside track on some of those kids. So I think this year will be a lot like two years ago where McDowell started the season one and four. Uh, they got licked by a couple of the Ohio teams. Uh, Lake Catholic got them pretty good. Cardinal Mooney shut them out. But once they got through those games and got into the meat of their region schedule, they were able to take care of the region teams, and they ended up ripping off six straight wins and making it to the second round of the PIAA playoffs. Let's uh... – Let's transition a little bit about McDowell this year. Uh, some of the just, do you have a, a rough idea how many uh, returners they have this year? I know you mentioned it's kind of a transition year. Is it more uh, you're going to see maybe three quarters new starters there, or do you think you'll have about four or five uh, returning starters? Well, defensively, they lost 13 of their 14 top tacklers. <laughs> so it's going to be an all defense. Well, yeah. And one player, uh, one of their, their, Terrific players on defense, Dejon Casto, transferred to their arch-rival Cathedral Prep. So it's going to be a new defense. It's going to be a work in progress. Offensively, uh, they bring back two starting running backs, so that's good, uh, Xavier Pulliam and Mike Locke. The quarterback position is going to be up for grabs this year uh, between uh, Sean Rehm, who's a senior. He's been behind. He's been Levi Becker's backup the last couple of years. Levi Becker uh, is going to Ohio Dominican. He's the school's all-time leader, leading passer in yards and touchdowns, uh, and he got an offer from Ohio Dominican, so that's where Levi Becker will be heading. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I know it's going to be a battle, and we have our first uh, our first coaches show at a local establishment called Otis 12 Bar and Grill in Bill Creek coming up, and um, it'll be interesting to ask Coach Orlando who the, the starter is going to be because he said it was going to be a battle in camp between Sean Ream and Regan Schleicher. So we'll see there. Um, they have three-fifths of their offensive line back in Angel DiNicola, Aaron Sanford, and Casey Baker. So that's nice because, as you you and I both know, you win games in the trenches. Oh, there's no question about that. And that's that's actually 
uh, something the coaching staff they're going to be thrilled with to have three fifths of the offensive line coming back, like you said, and the running backs who uh, have had some experience in the offense. So, they, you know, McDowell will have it's like you said, maybe an up and down season, but have an opportunity to grow as the season go. Let's get into uh, the changes in Pennsylvania here in the last year. As you mentioned, they uh, expanded their playoffs to six now. From uh, single A yeah. to six uh, A being the, the largest schools, I would say District Ten and how they've handled it. And uh, I know some schools or just some regions or some affiliations that were disappointed with that. District Ten was kind of uh, on board with that move, correct? Yeah, I, I think. And here's my two cents on the whole thing. Um, if I can editorialize a little bit, I guess um, I, I really think that I was for it. A lot of coaches were for it. Uh, most coaches that I talked to were for it. I think that the state would have been better off tabling it for a couple of years. I don't know if I used it correctly, but, you know, they, they probably should have maybe pushed it off for about two years. There was a lot of confusion last year about how the regular season and postseason was going to be set up. And an example of that is how this week is going to be. Uh, McDowell opened the season against, of course, National Powerhouse St. Edward who's going to be ranked in the top 25 to start the season. But this is actually what uh, the PIAA considers week zero. Yes, I was going to get into that. Yeah, they they gave teams the option because of the way, you know, all these different conferences along all these different districts were set up. You can actually choose to play two scrimmages and then have a regular season game in that first week of November or one scrimmage start your regular season in August, like obviously it's going to happen this week on the 25th for most of the teams. And then the postseason starts that first week in November. But like McDowell, for instance, I'll use McDowell as an example. McDowell was under the impression that they were going to be playing in what's referred to in Pennsylvania as a sub-regional. And that first week of November after their final regular season game against Alderdice, because uh, essentially in the sub-regional of District 10, 6, and 8, there were only four teams. McDowell, Alderdice out of the Pittsburgh City League, and then two District 6 teams, State College and Mifflin County. And they just assumed that it was going to be State College versus Mifflin County in one sub-regional, McDowell and Alderdice in another. Well, McDowell found out about four weeks into the season that that was no longer happening, that they had gone to a point system and that they would select the two teams to play in the sub-regional the week of November, the weekend of November 11th and 12th, and they would base it on a point system. So wow. not having a game that week, and in my opinion, it affected them because they were rusty in that state college game. They ended up turning the ball over several times, and they lost that sub-regional uh, that weekend. I believe that the game took place on November 12th last year. And so that's just kind of part, and there were a lot of, things similar to that that happened around the state. So I think the state would have been better off just waiting a couple of years. I'm glad they expanded. I still think it's the right thing to do from a size perspective. Pennsylvania was one of the biggest states in the country that had the least amount of classifications. Was it? Uh, Whippeal. Northwest Pennsylvania. What's it? Yeah, the Whippeal. I'm sure you're referring to yeah, or the yeah. Whippeal. Or- yeah, exactly. Yeah. Western Pennsylvania Athletic League. And basically, them were upset about the whole expanded numbers. And I was telling them, I always thought it would be better because you'll get more schools closer in attendance and uh, closer in 
enrollment together versus maybe a school that is facing another school with maybe a hundred more kids versus what they're up against. And I, in my opinion, if you can narrow that down, you're going to have better outcomes and more competition. Uh, I think the hardest part Pennsylvania has, and, and I mean, this is my Ohio bias, and I, I admit it straight up, is Ohio has a point system that's been established many years ago, and it works really well uh, for seeding and for uh, the way they do the playoff system is a state tournament from the beginning. It's not regional and then move into the state like Pennsylvania does. Do you ever think uh, Pennsylvania may move into that direction or do you think these uh, regional districts just have too much uh, uh, power and pool to make those decisions? Uh, what you just said, I, I think that in talking to a lot of different members of the media, a lot of sports writers, a lot of play-by-play guys, uh, the latter of what you just said, that the districts in the state of Pennsylvania really dictate how things are done, and especially the power districts like the WPIAL. And obviously, they were they were very upset. They were even threatening to cede from the rest of the PIAA over the sixth classification idea, but it never happened. I think the, the reason why the Whitfield was so upset about it was because they loved their tradition of having their championship games at Heinz Field the day after Thanksgiving. That was a big thing, you know, from, you know, the time you yes. spent uh, working uh, at uh, WKST in Newcastle there uh, for a while. They're filling in for the late Mark Shaw's. May he rest in peace. That was a sad story to hear uh, over the course of the summer here and uh, with the MSA Sports Network. But, yeah, that's a big deal down there. And that's been a trending yeah. tradition. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, I'll just get on a little side note. Uh, it's unfortunate what happened to Mark. Uh, I, I actually had a chance to talk to him on Facebook the, the day before he passed and uh, him to do the exact same podcast you and I are doing. And uh, I came back home the next day and I uh, got a phone call from uh, Lee, who I did the games with, filling in for Mark that year and was informed about uh, what happened in Mark's passing. But, uh, yeah, a great guy. I don't know if you ever had a chance to meet Sashi or not, but uh, a terrific guy who loved high school sports and, uh, like you, worked at Lowe's. It's, it's amazing. Uh, I, I met Mark, I think, twice along the uh, the tournament basketball trail. Uh, you know, we of course, we were under the same umbrella at Forever Broadcasting. His WKSD uh, was owned by Forever Broadcasting, so we worked for the same company. Uh, and my interactions with him were always terrific. And just uh, seeing that the, the reaction on Twitter uh, from – some of the people down in, uh, you know, folks that we know down in Mercer County for the great stations down there that cover high school sports. You know, a lot of people knew Mark, and that was a, a sad so I think anytime we lose somebody in this business, especially somebody that kind of works on the same level that we do, uh, it's sad. You know, you and I have mentioned uh, throughout this uh, episode of this podcast that uh, Keith Allen Austin, Gary Clark, guys that we worked with uh, forever yeah. broadcasting that were, you know, Keith did a morning show for, I don't know how many years there in the Meadville market and was beloved by the people there. Uh, Gary Clark, who was the voice of Meadville hockey for, I think, close to 30 years uh, in the Crawford County area. So, yeah, it, it, we've really lost uh, some, some, some terrific people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some terrific people, let alone their broadcasting skills and uh, what they brought to uh, an audience every night. There's no question about that. We have uh, – unfortunately suffered some uh, major losses on that level that you and I both have met and admired over the last uh, 10 years. 
Hey, Ray, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I just want to uh, give you a, a quick opportunity to talk about McDowell. If someone wants to listen to the ball game, how can they do that? And uh, just give me an, an outlook uh, quickly on McDowell for the season and where you start your season uh, this Friday night. Okay, uh, for folks that want to hear the games, go to www.wwcvradio.com. Uh, they have a listen live link, and there's four streams. Uh, you can click on stream two, and that's where the games will be. Uh, we're also going to have some archives playing on a loop on that stream as well. And also, uh, we're going to be working on a mobile app. I know that Bill Stafford, the owner of WWCV, who I've been working with to make this happen. Uh, uh, originally, the plan was to be on TuneIn, but that plan is possibly changing, and we're hoping to have a WWCV mobile app out soon. Uh, you can also go right to uh, www.mcdowellfootball.org, and the link is right there on the McDowell football website as well. Uh, the Trojans open up uh, against national power St. Ed's, which, of course, you're very familiar with uh, for all the years that you've lived and worked in Ohio. Uh, so that's going to be a tough test, especially for a, a young team. And they will open against St. Ed's this Friday at home at Gus Anderson Field. Schedule works out uh, kind of in favor for McDowell this year uh, as they have six home games. Um, with the consolidation of Erie High School, as you know from your years working in Northwest Pennsylvania, uh, there was East, Strong Vincent, and Central. That's all now one school. It's going to be Erie High, and they will be 6A, and they're going to be, I think, they have the potential to be a team. They, have the yeah, they got a chance to be a powerhouse, don't they? Sure. And then, uh, you know, the team that I think everybody up here believes has a chance to repeat as state champions as Cathedral Prep. Uh, they have five Division One commits on their team, and I would be stunned if they weren't at least back in Hershey this year. And for McDowell, I, I think this is a team that's going to be similar to a couple of years ago where you might see them hit their stride late in the season. They've got, you know, some more tough non-conference opponents, St. Francis out of New York. Uh, they're actually playing a team, Clarkson North, out of Canada uh, that they we're able to fill a schedule gap in with the new Erie consolidation. Erie's going to be a tough opponent. And then they have a uh, Holidaysburg and St. Joe's another private school out of New York and that Monsignor Martin uh, Catholic league in New York as well. Well, Ray, Hey, thanks for your time. Uh, let's catch up during the season again on my other podcast, my weekly uh, sports costs. We're going to be doing a lot of high school stuff. I'll have to have you uh, come on and join Anthony and I and give us an update on Northwest Pennsylvania District 10 and McDowell. I really do appreciate taking the time to do this podcast. Ray Reinstorf, he is the play-by-play -play voice for McDowell High School this year in Erie. So uh, if you get a chance, uh, you had all the information, we'll try to post that too here on the links as we uh, make this available for everyone uh, here in the next few hours. Ray, once again, thanks for your time. And let me take this opportunity to wish you and your family nothing but the best. Same to you as well, Tim. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do this and congratulations to you my friend on uh now uh doing play-by-play full-time uh closer to your hometown as well congratulations i appreciate it once again that's ray reinstorf and i'm tim continenza this has been uh episode number two of one-on-one -on -one with tim continenza we're going to be back later this week with high school football preview and 
of course, our normal sports podcast episodes. And we have a few more things lined up here on Radio MVP. So if you get a chance, always go to our website, RadioMVP.com, as it is the Valley's most valuable podcast. Thanks again for everyone tuning in. We'll talk to you soon here on Radio MVP.